Welcome to the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm Eric Chapman. It's a daily bite-sized morsel of our four-hour middle-of-the-night radio show. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show, and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. The Shift Daily Podcast starts right meow. Let's talk to Greg Fish about worlds of weird sciencey stuff. Hey, Greg. How's it going? Good. What was your first car? It was a Ford Taurus. It was a it was um, maroon red, I want to say, oh. or or thereabouts. Yeah. Oh, did you have it for a long time? Did you fall in love with it? Um, I had it for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was a it was a decent car. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, well, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was comfortable. It yeah. got me to where I needed to go. Yeah. And uh, you know, I parted with it and. You know, honestly, it, it was it was fine. It was just yeah. it was its time to go. Yeah, you don't it started breaking down. Yeah, you don't sound like you were that happy with it. it wasn't a real love connection there. No, I mean it yeah. was a Ford, and you know what Ford stands for. <laughs> don't you dare! Found on road dead. Fix or repair da- oh, daily. Daily, okay. Which whichever one. It's not very good for Ford. Wow. Okay, I know how where Greg Fish stands on his Fords. I like that. That's funny. Okay, but let's get into this. Um. I like this conversation. Uh, Greg, what's your ideal AI robot takeover of the world? What would you prefer? Oh, that that's kind of like asking what's your favorite poison or <laughs> what you know, what, yeah. what 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 method of falling out of a plane do you prefer? Uh, you know, here's <laughs> well, the thing. To, I don't there has got to be a more peaceful one, maybe quicker, a quicker or something, you know, not not too violent, I don't know. You know what? Technically, <laughs> here's the thing. Yeah. It, it's the I would say it's the one that we have now. Okay, see, Matt said this, and I he had I I figured he had something on his. So you think this is already happening or has happened? I think it's already happened, but we haven't really been paying attention because. Yeah. And here's the thing. Hit me. We're always expecting the robot apocalypse to be like, oh, you know, it's an actual like literal robot apocalypse. And, right. You know, we're gonna have like these nuclear weapons going off and Skynet. Skynet's gonna, yeah. Yeah. Skynet's gonna <laughs> enslave humanity. No, no, I don't think that's gonna that's that's really gonna happen. Uh, and then there's there's people who are more into sci-fi than the actual science and engineering who think we're going to have this like super intelligent robot that's just going to take everything over because Mm. it wants to or it's going to try and trick us and enslave us but that's probably not going to happen either because you know why why does a machine care to even enslave us they they only need us as far as as far as if they want resources that we actually have and don't want to give up so Mm. what's really happening is this so everyone talks about, oh, where did all the manufacturing jobs go? Where did all the entry level jobs go? Like what happened to all of that? How are, why are people being, you know, fired by robots mm-hmm. in warehouses? Like what's going on? And it's machines. That's what's going on. The machines have taken over. Yeah. You know, pretty much everything that is happening in the modern world is ran by machines, well, and stock I, markets. And as a lazy person, I like the the warehouse stuff and the, the the robots moving the heavy stuff. Like, I'm into this. But, yes, back to the stock markets, everything. You're right. It's, yeah. it's happening. Yeah, it's all ran by machines. And we've enabled it to happen. And this was the plan all along. Like, this is not the, – the weird thing about this oh, is this, this is not like – this is not like supposedly supposed to be sinister. That was the right. plan from the beginning. <laughs> 
people when people were sitting around from from the beginning of the 20th century looking at automation and what automation can do and kind of pushing the science and engineering towards it mm-hmm. they were essentially thinking that okay well we're going to replace a lot of human labor with robots and then humans can just kind of go and do whatever right and instead what happened is we achieved that end goal you know we're or we're very close to achieving that end goal where robots are essentially taking over the vast majority of routine predictable um you know, grinding labor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And instead, people are being given make jobs just to keep them busy, or they're essentially being used in the same way as machines to do the jobs that machines either can do or it's too expensive to have machines do right now because the economies of scale aren't there. So we are essentially being dictated by the machines that are trying to take over our jobs because the plan was always for them to take over our jobs. And the people who are at, who are in charge, who should be saying, well, okay, well, what are we going to have people do? What's the next thing we're going to have people do? Uh, the best thing they've come up with is, well, throw some fake work at them. You know, have them follow social media trends and have them write TPS reports right. and leave it's, them at my desk at nine in the morning. That's interesting because that I, I want to call that fake work, but you really you're you're calling it. This isn't real work. This is just stuff made up to make you look like you're doing something. Yeah, because here's the thing, machines can automate it. I have actually I have actually worked in a place where people have come to us and said, Hey, um, could we automate this? And the answer was we can't. But think really, really, really hard about what it is that you do around here and what happens right. when we automate this this particular task that you asked us to automate. Right. And then the people would look at us with wide eyes and back off right away. Right. Wow. It, this is the thing. Like I, I, I feel like I should remind, just in case, that you know, I'm a pro, I'm an evil programmer. I, I do this stuff all the time. I've automated tons of jobs. One of my, one of my first contracts, uh, you know, there was a, there was an accounting department that went from, you know, seven or eight people to two. Be- just because of right. all the automation that was added. See, and I'm not against that. See, I, I'm, I'm of a different mind of this, Greg. I'm for 100% for automation. The less work for us, the better. Because I believe that this will free us up to do uh, what we love to do. Say you want to say you lo- you were a you were a data entry dude, and that obviously can be automated. So you lose your job. Okay, that's tough. It's it's an adjustment, but that gives you an opportunity to maybe go back to school, maybe learn woodworking. You know, get into a do- nothing something else that you love. So I look at this as a good thing. And I would be right there with you. I in conceptually speaking, I completely agree with you and that is exactly how we should be approaching this. Right. The problem is Yeah that today's politicians don't understand that or care about that, which is really kind of the big problem that we're facing. So back in the 19th century, you know, people used to have workhouses for the poor because the general idea at the time, and, and actually the idea still remains mm-hmm. in the Anglophone world, that work is important, that work is the only way you can be a contributing member to society, but when we're talking about work, we're talking about, you know, 40 hours a week in the office or on the factory floor job. Right. Those are, that is work. That is being a contributing member of society. Yeah. Going off to school, learning woodworking, becoming an artist, unless you have your own uh, successful business. Right. That is, that is not work. That is not a contribution to society, which is ridiculous because it yeah. absolutely is. Absolutely. Art is a contribution to society. Science is a contribution to society. Education is a contribution to society. So really what we, where we are 
is on the one hand, we are in a place where we need to be making transition plans and, and telling people like we, you, you know, this mm-hmm. whole old adage about not everyone can be a scientist, not everyone can be an astronaut. It's that's no, that's, that's ridiculous. BS, yeah. Why not? Yeah, Why not? Totally. Do you want to be an artist? Go be an Go artist. Do, it, yeah. do you want to be? Yeah. Do you want to be an astronaut? Let's let's try and figure out what skills you need. Well, you want to be a scientist? What do you want to research? It's like that's that, what we need. That whole it's kind of like that live to work, not work to live, or however that saying goes. Is that is that sort of plays in here? Kind of, but this is more of a combination of both. Like let's try and let's try and match your passion to the skills that you're going to need, and let's make those skills accessible. So that should be where we're going. Yes. But the powers that be don't understand that that is valid, and they can't, and I don't think that they can, quite honestly. Oh, really? You know, there's a lot of people, yeah, there's a lot of people who are just, they are right. They are too old, too stuck in their ways, yeah. too stodgy, They they or they are too... Um, they're, they're just too obstinate and they cannot mm. see the way they, they, they will stand in the way of the progress. And then the other problem is that, um, and especially when, you know, when you talk about, um, populist movements in Canada, in the United States, mm-hmm. in Brazil, in the UK, you essentially have just terrible people taking advantage yeah. of the uncertainty and the problems to blame What's going on? The economic instability, the political turmoil that's caused largely by obstinacy and refusal to adapt to the way that the world actually is. Um, they are using that to essentially scapegoat and declare war wow. against people that they hate because that's all that they really care about. That's all they do. And, you know, we're supposed to pretend that, oh, you know, these are just people whose way of life is changing and they don't know what to do with themselves and mm-hmm. we just need to give them a per- No, no, these are just bad people who hate <laughs> everybody and this is their excuse to do what they want to do. Thank you. You know, Greg. Let's, let's not pretend that that's not what's going on. You know, I always think like this in my head. But I never say it out loud because people think I'm crazy because I talk to a lot of people that think I'm crazy. So I'm glad that you're 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 sharing the thought that I've always had because I think you're 100 percent right. And it's probably going to take to your point, uh, like at least a generation before we're going to be able to have the people in power that will think this way. Well, that not that not so that doesn't still have to be the case. Okay, it all really has to do with the fact that, you know. We still have the power to vote. We still have the power to research politicians. And then here's the other thing. Politicians love going around and saying, oh, politicians are useless. Government is useless. Government is terrible. Government is awful. And, well, okay, well, if it's that awful, why do you want to be there? If it's for, you know, scoundrels and sociopaths and corrupt bastards, why are you, like, so interested in in, in getting into that point? Let's have people who aspire, who have political aspirations, are probably you know maybe a little bit more politically correct than i am and, yeah yeah <laughs> and, and, and have a bit of have a better mute button um and and and, and better skills can can rise up and say well i want to be a candidate because this is what i see so you have to have the can you have to have um either candidates who are who grew up with this technology and understand where this is going yeah or people who just who just get it and can demonstrate that they just get it um, and voters who are looking at it, uh, who are looking at the situation and saying, well, you know what? I, I don't want to make random reports for yeah. a living. I, I want to be a scientist. I want to research this. I want to work with my hands. How can, how can all of this happen? How, who out there has a plan that makes sense yeah. to make this happen? 
it, it's, it's really, this is, we need to get back to this level of participation because there's, there's a kind of a, there's a disconnect here that is really fomented today by, I mean, we, we almost have gerontocracies out there. Um, what's that? And, and, uh, gerontocracy is basically ruled by the oldest. Okay. Yep. Yep. So we, we have people in power who are completely out of it. And that's a sign that maybe they should leave and either have their colleagues who understand that the baton has to be passed to the next generation or have the next generation in. And we have to, but we have to participate in that process. It's right. not going to happen all of its own. We have to, we have to make our voices heard. And of course, when I say we have to work, make our voices heard, I'm talking about voting. Let's talk about these issues. Let's yeah. use social media and talk about these issues. Yeah. Let's go vote about these issues. Mm-hmm. Let's, you know, volunteer for the candidates who we are very passionate about mm-hmm. and, and know that these are the plans. Uh, it, it has to be a, participa- a, a participatory thing. You know, the, well, yeah. these are big systemic changes, but we can also make we can all, all participate in making these things better. Who knew that the the AI takeover all just in, just involves voting and getting the right people in power? Greg, this was an awesome chat, man. Seriously, this is one of my favorite ones we've ever had. Thank you very much, as always, for your time, brother. Oh, always a pleasure. Yeah, that was awesome. Cool. Greg Fish from worldofweirdthings.com. Check him out. That article's up on there. And I love that. Let's get back to what we love to do and make that what we do, whether if it's our career or not. Oh, can you imagine? This is the Shift Daily Podcast. I'm going to get to a few texts here, though. I'm getting corrected, and he, this person is correct. He, she, they, whoever this is, random Albertan. Wayne's World Car was an AMC Pacer, not a Gremlin. You are correct. I believe it was a 76. I had a Dodge. I had a 1974 Dodge Dart Swinger Special. I pulled the motor out, put a 426 Hemi into it. Roadhammer, boom. That's moving. Uh, we got some, f- power. some Ford acronyms here. Um, a friend of mine uh, who also actually had a 72 Nova, he had a 454. He dragged, he put nitrous in it, and um, he'd do the $100 bill thing where he'd put 100 bucks on the dash. Say, if you can take that 100 you can get that 100 bucks. It's yours. And then he just drop it to the floor and kick the turbo in, and there was no moving. You just glued to the seat, trying to get that hundred dollars, but you can't do it. I got some other ones from Mark for Ford. Um, effed old rebuilt Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like these too, Dwayne. You got it going on with these. Okay, Ford fix or repair daily. Dodge drops oil, drips grease everywhere. This Jeep one is right on point. Just empty every pocket. Amen. Those things will, oh, not only guzzle gas, but everything else you have, your soul. Um, and Chevrolet, this one is brilliant. Okay, here we go. Constantly having every vehicle recalled over lousy engineering techniques. <laughs> Dwayne, man, you hit it. That is so no, dope. No, that's good. I that like that. Good. Yeah. And then uh, one more here uh, from Dave at 877-399-9898. Of course, talking about Vincent Van Gogh. Gone, my, t- gone soon. My old van. Matt's old van. Going to car heaven car heaven or as the big old scrap heap in the sky as, as dave says hey eric i feel deeply for matt i just sent my best buddy 1994 f-150 extended cab xl to the big scrap heap in the sky aluminum panels i owned it from new the only truck my kids ever knew wow it sat idle for three years and caused me nothing but anxiety for all of that. So I finally wished BC pinstripes goodbye. Miss it. Cheers, Dave. You're by, you, 1994. Welcome to new car buying world. How has this changed? 
from the old roll-up windows in an F-150-94 to tell your car to start with words. That's how you do it now, technically. Oh, my goodness. Did we just get another text? No, he's deleting them. All right, let's do some Are You Okays because that's what we do. Yeah, actually, I was clearing the... Uh, oh, okay, is there more? Yeah, um, Glenn just texted in. Oh, wow. Pontiac, poor old Newfie thinks it's a Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. That Thanks, was Glenn. awesome. That's really great. <laughs> I had to get that in there before Thank we did you. This. Thank you for doing that. I appreciate you for doing that. <laughs> That's really... Oh, I got one from Lyle. I saw your text here too, Lyle. I'm just trying to figure out how to sign into the, the text so I can see pictures because we were talking about hair yesterday. Hello, Eric. As promised yesterday. Thank you, Lyle. Um, my pompadour hairstyle, this was taken over a year ago. I was doing a few songs for an Elvis fan who was celebrating her 80th birthday. Thank you, Lyle from Kamloops. Lyle, I'm going to find a way to look at your picture and I'm going to look at it in awe of your pompadour because I respect that. Okay, all right, let's do these. Okay. Are you okay with Jared Kushner saying Trump's wants black people to be more successful than they want to be successful? Is that a typo, Jason? Was that is that correct? Did I say that right? No, that that, that was probably a typo. I was oh. trying to like write No no. No, I think you I was trying I was try, I was trying to write it in an, in an are you okay way. Yes. Um, but that didn't work out properly. <laughs> Thank you for admitting your fault. Oh, Anytime, man. <laughs> We're all human here. Anytime. <laughs> well, okay. Okay. What I understand is okay. Kushner is saying Trump wants black people to be more successful than they themselves want to be successful. Whoa, Correcto. you mean he, he is so, so dedicated to just human beings that he wants them to be more successful than they want to be. That's what I gather. Exactly. From so you know what that yes. makes? That's Trump sense right there. So... so <laughs> It took a while, but and my brain hurts. Oh my god! But oh, I'm just my rubbing goodness. my forehead. Well done. Now I don't know if you you're you're overly intelligent or just a base brain like Trump. But either way, Matt, I appreciate you for figuring that out. Someone's got to figure this stuff you out just, as we go. Someone's got to host this show. <laughs> okay. No, I I am absolutely not okay with this. Um, you, this is the definition of systemic racism. When you think, well, not the definition, but it's part of it. When you think you know what <laughs> someone of, of, of the, a colored per, a person of color wants, that's kind of racist, dude. Jason, are you okay with this? No, because it's it's sort of saying like, um, this is what's good for you. Like, yeah. So yeah, you don't so know. You either accept it or not. That is the total definition of privilege. Um, so no, I am not okay with it. Okay, I'm just gonna run this, and we'll get Matt's uh, today on Fox News. Senior advisor and son-in-law of President. <laughs> of President Trump, Jared Kushner, said this about Black Lives Matter movement. And again, one thing we've seen in a lot of the, 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 the black community, which is mostly Democrat, is that uh, President what? Trump's policies are the policies that can help people break out of the problems that they're complaining about, but he can't want them to be successful more than they want to be successful. And I'm just going to move on wow. from that one. I'm not even going to ask your opinion, Matt. That just made me so frustrated. These, these people are evil. I'm saying it. Yeah, I mean, you just can't speak for someone, right? Yeah, that's it. You don't. You don't do it. That's when you get into trouble. God, I can't wait till it. When's election day? Is it today? Can can I go vote in America? Can I go I vote? Like, not quite. <laughs> yet. Early voting's already no, started. No, the third. Yeah, no, I know. Fifty over fifty million people in America have voted. That's telling. Wow. Yeah. Wow. 
Okay, let's do this next one so I can cool down a bit. Are you okay with the man paying for everything in a relationship? Hmm. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I mean, I mean, is that what she, is was that what the partner wants? I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Why not? I'm sure. Not, I'm not being cheap here, but <laughs> it it would be nice. <laughs> yes. Whoa! Don't get cheap, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. You can't pay for everything. Why no, not? No one's gonna pay for everything. Why not? I would. I, I would be happy to pay for everything if that's the was that was the relationship and that's what we wanted. I, if you're so, you'd I, be cool being a sugar daddy. I would. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Is that a security thing? Like, are, is that a way to sort mean? of just keep that person in your no, life? No. 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 No, not at all. Without getting too... I'm just... It's, now, why does it have to be a sugar daddy if I just love that person want to give them all that I have? Can't that be just it? So if, if say, you're at a date, you're... Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. You're paying for something. You're in some situation where a cashier is like, okay, give me money. <laughs> yes. And if she has, like, 20 bucks... Yeah. ...in her pocket... Yeah. ...and she... You know, she takes the twenty dollar out of oh, her. Oh, then she can pay out of her pocket. Yeah, are you going to slap her no, hand? Absolutely. Let twenty right no, out of her hand? No, no, no. Go ahead and pay. <laughs> I mean, if don't get me wrong. Look, if you're going to pay for something and I don't have to pay for it, I'm incredibly thrifty and cheap. Don't get me wrong. So yeah, go ahead. Pay put that twenty down. Okay. I mean, I'm not okay with with paying for everything. Yeah, I I, I, I feel like I made. I money. feel like this. <laughs> I feel like this expectation sort of needs to change in 2020. What do you mean? How so? Um, what? What? You mean the old school thing that guys pay for it all? Yeah, for sure. Because I, I think I think it's kind of contradictory. Like, like say if you have a like a you have a like a woman who's like, mm-hmm. yeah, like they, like you know they're w- women now especially. You know they they want to they they like um or they want to talk about like equality and that's cool and everything. But if you're <laughs> but if you're gonna talk about that, at least you know have the common decency to be like. Yeah, I'll pay for this. You know, sometimes I I feel like this expectation, mm-hmm. you know, doesn't like it does stand in a sense, mm-hmm. but I don't. But I feel like we need to make an adjustment to it because I don't think the guy should be paying for everything. I think I think I think, I think when you go out to eat, for sure, the guy should pay for that. But when it comes to like you know some other stuff, I feel like you know. So you the think that pay for the, the guy should always pay for the meal though? For the meal, yes. As much as possible. Oh. I, th- that's for me personally, but that's just me. That, that's just me. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I mean, everybody's different. Everybody yeah. will have a different take on it. Yeah. But I mean, hmm. yeah. I mean, I'm I'm okay with either of these. I guess I guess in the traditional sense, to your point, um, um, um what's your name there, Jason? Um, to to your point that you know we got to get away from that old school way of thinking that the man just pays because he's the man. Blah blah blah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm exactly, not cool with that. Yeah. But I mean, if it's a scenario where the man or the woman paying for everything, if it's either or, and that's the relationship and that's the modern relationship that you have, buy me dinner, buy me a car, buy, buy me stuff. I'm totally cool. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Um, yep. you gotta, we, we have one sec. I'm just going to read a text, Jason. I got a J in Whitehorse. I'm a gay guy. Of course it's okay for the guy to pay for everything. <laughs> Good point, Jay. <laughs> yes, Jay. Thank you. I didn't read. I didn't pre-read that, so I wondered where it was going. But thank you. Yes. See, Jay okay. is Jay is with me. The uh, guy pays, man. Guy just pays. <laughs> Every time. No matter what. <laughs> right there. You were saying something though, Jason. I cut you off. You know, yeah, no. I, I I feel like if if the if that common saying the of like oh 
the go make me a sandwich phrase is totally done in 2020 yeah. i feel like this one can change in 2020 yeah okay all right earlier this week rapper saweetie came out with a video and basically implied if you're a man isn't paying your bills you need to get rid of him well that's just weird well popular radio show the breakfast club responds to the comments oh this is kamalenga the god Charlemagne. Charlemagne the God. Sorry, here we go. If you're not getting you a bargain, if you're not paying for your bills, then go ahead and Okay? Now, as a woman, I do believe that it's nice when guys offer to help you out and do things for you, but you should never need them to do that. And, you know, everybody wants to feel spoiled. I feel like you should spoil your man also. And if that doesn't mean financially, that could mean in other really thoughtful ways. I've never felt like you paying for things for me means that you care because you could also give somebody yeah. a whole bunch of money and yeah. gifts and be doing everything else and not really caring so it's just really how you show that you care about somebody yeah i i mean i have three daughters and i raise my daughters to take care of themselves and don't rely on anybody for anything work hard grind out invest well and you pay for your own something if you want a a, a bag you pay for it yourself if you want a bill paid or you want something you pay for it yourself yeah. you don't rely on nobody but yourself yeah sure that empower yeah, totally. I, I'm with that. But if the relationship is, I'm the breadwinner and I'm going to buy everything, well, then that's the way we agreed to it. And as a feminist, th my partner would agree because we're about equality. Exactly. But it's different for everybody. So, <laughs> it is different so for who everybody. are we to judge? <laughs> oh, I'm going to judge. I got judgy pants on, Matt. Yeah, no, I got, I got stick on the uh, the text line for, for saying sugar daddy, so... <laughs> So who, okay. who am I to judge? And that's in that too. They make an interesting point there. Like I don't, uh, uh, money isn't my love language either. So I'm not buying things to show love. I'm just buying them because that's just the, the character. That's just the kind of person I am. To Matt's point, everybody does it differently. What are you gonna do? Buy me dinner. Buy me dinner. <laughs> Buy me a subway sandwich. <laughs> Ooh, subway. Oh, I had the steak and cheese. Hadn't had Subway forever the other day. I had a steak and cheese. It was lovely. Oh, steak and cheese is classic, man. That's so, so good. good. Yeah. By the way, we this is not an advertisement. Yeah, go no, go buy Subway. Not, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's the greatest <laughs> company ever. Un Send me a check. Unsolicited uh, <laughs> sandwiches. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Uh, Wikipedia says psilocybin mushrooms, commonly known as magic mushrooms or shrooms, are polyplectic, polyplectic, informal group of fungi that contain psilocybin and psilocin. It was announced that the U.S.-Canada border will remain closed for at least another month. Uh, I think it was earlier this week or last, amid the spread of COVID-19. Luckily, one of the most useful exports at this particular moment has now come in the U.S. Now, this is a U.S. magazine talking about Canada. The Psychedelically Enhanced Therapy Clinic Field Trip Health just opened its first stateside location in Manhattan. The Canadian company opened its flagship clinic in Toronto back in March, calling itself the world's first mental wellness company focused on psychedelics and psychedelic-enhanced psychotherapy. And while the concept of psychedelically-enhanced therapy isn't itself new, the ability of companies like Field Tripper Ember Health to create a sense of normalcy around the practice certainly is. The medical world's renewed interest in psychedelics has gotten the attention of the prestigious institutions such as Johns Hopkins University, which recently launched its own Center for Psychedelic and Consciousness Research. 
the first of its kind in the U.S., dedicated solely to studies of the effects of psychedelics on everything from smoking addiction to anorexia and Alzheimer's disease. Taking a quick look back at the evolution of commercialized weed in the U.S., uh, the once taboo substance was now... Um, has now enjoyed much wider praise, not only for its capacity to treat symptoms from anxiety to back pain, but to stimulate the economy through increased tax revenues. Yeah, get that money. Job growth and investment opportunities. Information about individual dosage and intended effects are now clear and available for the user, which has gone a long way in destigmatizing the, sus- the substance for reluctant users. Which is all part of this, because all this, the mental health thing, it's so stigmatized in every way, and even the treatments. And back in August in Canada, there was a landmark decision. Four Canadians were approved to grow their own mushrooms. That's the first time this has ever happened. Uh, one of them was, uh, her name was Lori Brooks. I actually had a chat with her. Uh, she was one of the people that was approved. Um, she um, had cancer. She's a cancer survivor. And it came back, her cancer. And so she decided to have the options to use psilocybin in case her cancer comes back. So she, what she's going to do is she's going to microdose. And I have a friend who, who's dear and dear to my heart, and they microdosed about, it was before the pandemic, they did a 30-day microdose of psilocybin. And let me tell you, it was amazing to see the transformation in this person. They were active they, 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 they can't work a, a nine to five job because being around people too long, it gets too much anxiety. They were able to do, do things that they couldn't normally. It was amazing to see it physically happen in someone that you know is just mind boggling. And so that kind of got me more interested into it. So I had a little chat a little while back about psilocybin and the good it can do for some people like vets with PTSD. Tim Laidler, who is a veteran himself, he was deployed to Afghanistan in 2008. Um, He got into a veterans transition program after being deployed, and it opened his eyes to so much about mental obstacles and what can be done when trying to get through it all. So he actually, he went and got his master's in counseling psychology. Hmm. He's worked with hundreds of vets that are dealing with trauma, but he's, 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 there's got to be more. That's his mindset. There, there, the steps we have taken are great, but the psilocybin conversation could be part of breakthroughs that we need. Um, they're also up to something out at UBC, which he will get into. But Tim started by sharing what it was like for him to come home from a war zone. For me, like coming back from Afghanistan, the, one of the biggest struggles was trying to fit into society again. Um, I was a reservist, so I served part time until we deployed, which was a full time commitment. But then within a matter of a month, I was back to finishing my school at UBC and you know, in a classroom of 300 other students. And, you know, a month earlier, I was driving through Kandahar on convoys and, um, you know, being exposed to the, the turmoils of the life in Afghanistan for a lot of people. And, you know, we had the risk of suicide bombers and roadside bombs that were a daily threat for us driving on the convoys. So you go from that high level of intensity and stress but it comes with a, a great meaning of a uh, great amount of meaning and purpose, though, because we're doing a, a mission there that we all believe in. Um, back to trying to make sense and make meaning in life as a civilian again in, in a college class. It's such a big change that for me, I just started to lose interest in the daily life and lose interest in my my school. And nothing seemed to be as fulfilling as the military service was. And then, you know, my mind did start to wander back to some of those roadside bombs that we saw who they killed, you know, civilians, injured lots of civilians. And you start thinking about those moments over and over and over again in your mind. 
until you realize you spend a couple hours in a day and you're exhausted at the end of it and you don't have all your best energy for your family and friends because you've just been ruminating on something that happened, you know, a year before. So for me, I, it started kind of small that way. And, um, you know, it, it definitely, looking back on almost a year and a half after my tour, I, I don't have many memories from that year because I was just so caught up in my own thoughts and uh, reliving things that uh, it's sort of a bit of a loss because you think you know, it was an entire summer in Vancouver where it's beautiful, but I was stuck daydreaming about something that had happened to me in the year prior. Yeah. Hey, thanks for sharing that with me, Tim. I know that's not easy for anybody to go through again, so I really appreciate it. Um, so so uh, being firsthand in, in a lot of these situations, you understand it in depth. So I, th- I think that's important to have someone like you backing things like this. Um, when it comes to the use of psilocybin in treatments, um, maybe a two-parter, what, what sort of things have you witnessed happening with it? And is, it, is there always a combo of, of the treatment with therapy and the psilocybin, they kind of go hand in hand? Yeah, definitely. I would strongly recommend that anybody who's into this, that they pair it with therapy. And I was talking with someone the other day, and we sort of made this analogy. It's like if somebody wanted to get into working out and they wanted to take some sort of performance-enhancing, um, you know, whether it's uh, protein powders or creatine or into some of the more high-depth stuff, if you just start taking those um, supplements and you don't work out, you're not going to get the results you want. Uh, I think if you take psilocybin and you don't pair it with therapy, you're not going to get the results you're looking for. It's not going to be a cure-all miracle drug that you know quite often gets touted by other um, products out there. I think it's really important that people who want to go through this journey pair up with a qualified counselor or professional psychologist and find somebody who's got experience and work through some of their trauma or some of their experiences to try and make sense of their life. And, you know, if this can help uh, move that along quicker, that's a huge win. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing, the biggest advantage I think for psilocybin in the veterans community is that I know so many veterans will not go see a counselor. I've said, I worked in this space for 10 plus years. I've got good friends. I've begged to come in and take advantage of a program that I can attest works. And this is traditional counseling. I can say, this is counseling. This works. This will help you get through your stuff. They just say, I'm not interested. I don't want to get a label of PTSD. I don't want to try anything like that. I don't want to talk to a psychologist. So the hope is with something like psilocybin, if it becomes more accepted and there's more professionals that can use it, I do see that as something that veterans will say, well, that's a bit different. That's something outside of counseling, I will go and actually seek help and I'll meet with somebody who's an expert in this and try something new, which is so needed in our community as veterans is is new innovations like this. Oh, that makes me so sad. The stigma, man, those hurdles, because I I suffer from mental uh, anxiety and depression and it's been bad lately during this COVID. Let me tell you something, but man, that just, that makes me really sad, that whole thing. And I think another angle on this too, as well, Tim, is this is probably happening in a lot of situations already, isn't it? So regulating it and getting a hold on how it works and doing this research is important to for people's well, kind of safety as well, because I would imagine that a lot of people, including veterans, are already kind of dipping their toe in this world. Well, definitely. Um, you see this yeah, from all the different – first it was cannabis, right? Right. There was a lot of veterans that were going out there self-medicating, taking advantage of it, finding positive results. But, um, yeah, with no regulation and with no research being done to actually support them with to say, well, you know, this is a daily amount you shouldn't exceed. And, 
here's how you can pair it up with other treatments. And you know what? You should also be trying to be physically fit, work out, have a balanced diet, do all these things while treating your mental health. Without people supporting that whole wellness platform, it's just setting people up to fail. Mm-hmm. There, there are people who are desperate, right? And I've been there myself. Like you're looking for anything that will help you. And uh, if, you know, it's illegal, it doesn't matter because you're hurting right now and you're going to try it. So um, as much as we can invest right away to try and get the research to give people the best instruction, evidence, and then pair them up ideally with a professional that can walk them through how to do this, that is going to save so much pain and try not to drag this process out to move quickly on it so that we have the medical support in place is going to definitely, I think, save lives, reduce harm. Okay, Tim, what are you up to out at UBC? What we're investigating right now is doing a survey of veterans to ask them, are they looking for alternative treatments and have they tried to self-diagnose with anything just to get an understanding of what the community is at right now and how they perceive psilocybin and you know that hopefully can inform other people that they want to if they want to go towards a clinical trial or something we'll have some initial data from a group of veterans who are you know in the community out here in the lower mainland can people get involved in that if they want to uh, definitely. There'll be advertisements online once we're approved with our ethics and everything. We'll have it run through a new institute at UBC called the Institute for Veterans Education and Transition, IVET. And um, yeah, we're seeing more of those advertisements coming out about how people can get involved. They can donate support and they can uh, take part in the survey if they have some military service. So if you want to get on that, go, go ahead. It's a great program. And again, let's get rid of these stigmas that are detached to things that are just, it's useless. It's useless. It's old school way of thinking. Let's get to the new. Let's get people the help they need. So just, I think it's a fascinating conversation. So if you are interested, as I mentioned, always, 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 always talk to a therapist first. Don't go looking for anything, especially because we don't, like, it's, it's not legal. So let's remember that. But there are doctors who can maybe point you in the right direction and get you the help. So if you're interested in that, have a look. But always, always, always have a doctor involved. I cannot stress that enough. This is the Shift Daily Podcast. Uh, let's get a double shot of moon news. Hit it, Matt. Extra, extra, look at the stars. Chappie Chapman's got your double dose of moon news. Yes. I needed a song. I asked Matt, and he provided. Thank you. That was awesome. While also making fun of you. In yes. Well, I mean, I, w- I, w- I would be disappointed if you didn't. Let's be honest. <laughs> Chappy Chapman. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. You're talented, and I like it. Okay. This is awesome. NASA finds definitive evidence of water on the moon's surface. The moon Europa is sometimes described as a veiny eyeball. Hardly a flattering characterization of what is one of the most exciting celestial bodies out there. There is no place in our solar system more likely to have life. And with this paper, released by NASA scientists this week, confirmation for the first time that one of the necessary building blocks of life is there. Water. A research team used the Keck Telescope in Hawaii, one of the biggest in the world. Over 17 days, they watched the surface of Europa and got a little lucky. On one of the days, they picked up exactly what they were looking for, a plume of something emitted from the surface. With a spectrograph, they were for the first time able to measure the chemical composition of the emission and verify that the molecules they were seeing were water. 
Well, you know, I get very excited about stuff like that. Canadian professor Lyle White studies polar microbiology, the type of life found in the harshest conditions. He says the plumes are water vapor. That means there's likely liquid water and the potential for microorganisms. On Earth, even at the coldest temperatures with barely any oxygen, life can be found. This is the type of microbial community that we think could exist in a place like the, uh, uh, the subsurface ocean of Europa. Now, NASA's spacecraft, the Europa Clipper, is planned for around 2025. It's supposed to do about 45 flybys of the moon. Its instruments will be able to look through the icy surface, but NASA's also looking at one day flying through one of the water plumes to sample exactly what's in them. Or as one excited scientist put it, to almost taste it. <sighs> Mike Armstrong, Global News, Montreal. Now, this is Europa, the moon of Jupiter, one of 79 moons of Jupiter, by the way. What does moon water taste like, though? Like that's kind of creepy. Ew. Would you Would you drink moon water if you were if it just like fresh out the bottle? I don't think I would. The moon lacks the bodies of liquid water that are a hallmark of Earth's. But scientists said Monday lunar water is more widespread than previously known, with water molecules trapped within mineral grains of the surface and more water perhaps hidden in ice patches, residing in permanent shadows. While research 11 years ago indicated some water was relatively widespread in small amounts on the moon, a team of scientists is now reporting the first unambiguous detection of water molecules on the lunar surface. At the same time, another team is reporting that the moon possesses roughly 15,000 square miles or 40,000 square kilometers of permanent shadow that potentially could harbor hidden pockets of water in the form of ice. The discovery of water on the moon's sunlit surface by NASA's Stratospheric Observatory for Infrared Astronomy, or SOFIA, came as a surprise and has prompted questions about the history of the moon as well as other airless bodies in the solar system. NASA's director, super nerd of astrophysics, Paul Hertz, said on Monday. SOFIA has found very little water. Uh, it's found individual molecules of water surviving on the sunlit surface of the moon. And if you were to gang up all those molecules of water, it would be about 12 ounces of water in a cubic meter of lunar soil. So a cubic meter is like 30 cubic feet. So that's a lot of dirt to, to mix in a 12 ounce bottle of water. So it's, it's much drier than the driest desert on the earth. Scientifically, it's interesting because we weren't expecting water. We, we, we weren't guessing that water could survive in the sunlit part of the moon. Um, and so thinking about how did it get there and how did it survive is an interesting scientific question that tells us something about the history of the moon, might tell us about processes that take place on airless, other airless bodies in our solar system. We don't know how to mine the water on the moon yet. That's why we're sending robotic instruments first to be followed by the first humans. The first humans will be doing science experiments to figure out how accessible the lunar water is. They won't be living off the water, the very first uh, explorers that, go, that return to the moon. The same team that made this discovery has proposed for additional observation with SOFIA. They want to uh, understand two things. First of all, how widespread is this water? They only looked at a small part of the Earth-facing side of SOFIA for their, their first observations, which were actually a test to see if this method would work. 
and it was spectacularly successful test. So now they want to look across the whole Earth-facing side of the moon to see if this water is everywhere. And secondly, they want to look at the moon at different phases. So that would be different sun angles on the surface of the moon to see if this water comes and goes, to see if it stays in the same place or whether it migrates across the face of the moon. So there's so many fundamental things about this water that we don't know that we just need, we only have one observation, one piece of data so far, and there's just so much more to learn. Um, and I asked for text at 877-399-9898, and before that clip was played, I, I, um, I, I asked what moon water possibly tasted like. And then I got a text saying moon water probably tastes like water. Look, I don't, I don't, I don't need your sarcasm. Okay, thank you. It, it maybe it tastes like glacier water tastes a little different than river water, right? Moon water tastes like water. How dare you? Maybe it tastes like cheese. I don't know. God, that would be great if it did. I would drink that water all day. Roadhammer says I personally think that moon water would taste out of this world. I love that you guys just took everyone right out of my head. I love this. Uh, John says, moon water makes you want to moon people. Imagine that. It's, you drink moon water and all of them, you just pants her off and you're mooning people instantly. instantly. It's like a, it's, it's like a visceral reaction. And then Trucker... Welcome to floodgates here, Eric. Sorry, man. I know. Uh, Trucker Dan says, if the water of Europa is deemed potable, it would be interesting in tasting it. However, I do not want to know what the water from Uranus tastes like. hi all right. I love it. Okay, and I said it's a double shot of moon news, so we're going to get this second shot here. Uh, NASA supports Nokia to deploy cellular network on the moon. Nokia's Bell Labs' pioneering innovations will be used to build and deploy the first ultra-compact, low-power, space-hardened, end-to-end LTE solution on the lunar surface in late 2022. Why are you putting cell phones? Who is There's no one there with a cell phone. Why are you putting cell phone tower on um, 4G up there? So you can check your email. I don't know. But there's no one there checking it. See, that tells me there will be that there's a secret moon base. There will be. There people. is <laughs> people on the secret moon base in one I of the craters. The Why do asteroids only land in craters? If you're thinking about that, we have to talk because something's wrong with both of us. Thank you for listening to the Shift Daily podcast. Tune into the show online or on the radio.